Happy New Year. I, um, as we start our first Sunday of the new year, i kind of excited in looking at the direction and the vision that God's given us as a church. And, um, and it's my desire this morning that you kind of get a vision for your life, um, maybe a new vision. And um, 2020 can be that new vision for, for not only a year or not only a decade, but for a lifetime. And uh, that's my hope. Um, question. Have you ever overpacked and regretted it? <laughs> Anybody? <clears throat> yeah. A few of you have. Um, I can tell by that laughter. And, uh, and um, we've been known to do that, Carol and I. Carol actually is a very good packer. She really can... She can uh, pack for a week in a carry-on and a big purse and, uh, and get, 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 get everything through. But she hasn't always been that way. And um, I remember uh, quite a few years ago, we decided to do a four-day hike in the High Sierras. And we thought, you know, this was going to, you know, we'd get what we had to do. And, and of course, because we were packing for four days, we had to bring a tent. We had to pack in food, you know, all those things that you don't normally would carry with you, and, and we were fairly loaded down, and uh, we, we arrived at Tuolumne Meadows where we were going to start our four-day hike, and, um, and that altitude somewhere around um, 75 to 8,000 square uh, uh, um, um, feet high. And, um, and it goes up, the first day was to 9,000, then the next day would be up to 11,000. And we made the mistake of arising, arriving in the morning, kind of a little cocky that we didn't need to acclimatize at all, and, um, and that wasn't a good idea. So when we started up the mountain, um, it didn't take long where Carol says, I don't think I can make it. And what that meant was, Rick, you're going to have to carry your pack and mine. (laughs) And I I remember really feeling like I was going to die (laughs) carrying both packs. And I don't even know what they weighed, but I think they weighed more than I did at the time. (laughs) And um, we, uh, we eventually got used to the climate, you know, the... The altitude, and um, we we were able to to make it happen. But you don't want to carry more than you have to carry. You really don't. You want to carry. You you want to travel light. And and the portion of scripture we're looking at really um, has to do in some ways with traveling light, traveling with the things that you need, not the things that you don't need. In life, and and that's really important as we head off into this new year, that we we carry the things we need. We don't carry the things we don't need. Let me give you a little bit of um, setup for the text that we're going to be looking at. Um, it's um, uh, the the apostle Paul is writing uh, to the Philippians, and he's warning them in this chapter at the beginning of the chapter and he says watch out because there's false teachers 
There's people that want to pile things on you um, that isn't from God. In fact, uh, you know, they're, they're trying, they, the, the, uh, at that time, the Judaizers wanted to kind of pile on all the old covenant laws on top of the, the, the gospel of grace. They didn't even believe in the gospel fully, the gospel of grace. And so they wanted to just pile things on. And Paul said, don't let them do it. And he said, I know that they're bragging that they're Jews and they have all these accolades. But he goes on and says, I have more than them. And he says, I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just, you know, just to ha- make a point, I'm more than them. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a Jew. I'm more of a, you know, I'm a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. He carried the law. He's, he was blameless. He persecuted the church. This guy was as zealous as they come. And he was well recognized in the Jewish community for what he had accomplished in his religious you know, endeavors. And so they began to, you know, he, he, as he was doing this, he was making a point. But also he was, you know, acknowledging the fact that he had achieved a lot of stuff. I mean, if your goal in the Jewish community was to rise to the ranks of, you know, uh, in, of accolades and to be looked up to and revered in that community, well, Paul had achieved that. And at a very young age, he achieved that. He was, this guy had, uh, he had been taught at the feet of the greatest um, theologian of the time, of the greatest uh, religious leader of the time. And he was known in the community, and he had a lot of, lot of ribbons, right? He, he, he had a lot of medals in, in that community as far as being looked up to. But then after saying all that to, to discredit those who were trying to put false doctrine on the church, it, he says in verse 7 is where we're going to pick up our text in chapter 3 of Philippians, and if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Some of you have your Bibles. I know we put the scriptures up here. Can I just encourage you, bring your Bibles anyhow, and um, I'll tell you why, Um, or at least where you can do some good note-taking and referencing. It really helps you um, as you do your studies over the years, and uh, to, to have those reference points in your Bible, it really is helpful. But either way, it's going to be up here, or you can use your phone or however you, your app or whatever. Here it is. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, what things were gained? He's talking about all the accolades for all the things he had accomplished in his past. He had, he had arrived to a, a, a high level, and now he says, you know all that stuff? Listen, this is a lifetime pursuit that he had. Since he was a little boy, he was trained to become what he, was, what he had become. He had given his whole life to this. And, this is, and he had achieved what, in fact, and, and there was more to go. He had, and and, and he had, he was, there was real promise for him. In his future. But now he says, everything that I gained, he says, I count it as loss. I just count it as a waste, really a waste of my time. I count it as loss. It's not, 
There's nothing to grab onto there. There's nothing I'm holding onto from my past. I count it as loss. Because Paul had, and I'm giving you, I'm going to give you four points here for 2020 and 2021 and 22 and 23 and 24 and 25. Paul, Paul had a divine dissatisfaction. Now, the Bible says we're to be content, you know, in the things that we have, but we're to be discontent in where we are. There's a discontentment with where we are so that we will grow. I don't want to be the same next year as I am standing before you this year. I... I look back and I know that I have grown from last year to this year. There are things in my life that God has done that has helped me to grow from last year to this year. And growing is not a difficult thing because I have so far to go. And so it, it is this divine discontentment. You know, all, what is common to all great athletes or inventors is discontentment. There's a discontentment in this way, or dissatisfaction, it's a better word, is a dissatisfaction for where they are, always wanting to improve. And all great athletes, all great inventors, all, you know, anybody that really achieves and really high success is someone who they can be at the top of their game and there's still a little bit of dissatisfaction even though they have better than they've ever been. To go, I want to go. And, and the trick to that is to be able to have that dissatisfaction without, being, without discouragement. Some of us won't even go there because when we, we look at ourselves in any kind of way of having dissatisfaction, we get quickly discouraged about ourselves. And Paul is not in a place of discouragement about where he is, he's dissatisfied because there's more to go and he, has to, and he wants to press forward, he wants to grow. It's not a negative, it's a positive. And, and if you can get over, and you can, if you can get over your you know, discouragement when you look at yourself and don't see yourself where you think you should be or want to be, if you can get over that, and, and there's, there's some keys in this portion of Scripture to help us with that, but if you can get over that, you can be in a constant place of growth without discouragement. And that's what God wants for you. He wants us to grow. And so Paul is, he, he's, he's achieved a lot, but you know what? That achievement, he just says, I'm, I'm not carrying that with me. I'm not carrying that with me on my journey. Because those things are not the things that, the things that I have achieved, have achieved in the past are not the things that are my goal now. I have a different goal. So he says in, um, in verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of God. Another translation says the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The, the, to, to know the Lord, he says, I count all these things lost 
because there's something so much better than I've ever achieved in my life. It's something so much worth, worth so much more than anything I have actually gotten in all of my efforts and all of my sacrifice and all of my achievements. He says, and it's that I count them lost for this excellent, most surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. What is his desire? Well, it's to know Christ above everything else. He says the knowledge of, of Christ Jesus, and that knowledge is not just informational knowledge. It's not just knowing kind of the character of God and knowing about him, but it's actually knowing him. It is both knowing about him and it's knowing him. It's a relationship kind of knowledge that is here. And he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And this is cow dung that I may gain Christ. It's smelly stuff, my path, he says. And I just count it loss. There are a lot of people in Paul's day that would have been, would have been, would have loved to have had his record and his, his achievement. They would have loved to have, be in the position that Paul was in when he was met by Jesus, before he was met by Jesus. There are a lot of people who would have wanted that. But Paul found something better. And church, you know, we can, we can look at the things of the world so easy. We can, we can look at the achievements of people in the world that have gotten places and somehow think that would be the highest achievement. And yet miss what is the highest achievement. What is the highest goal? What is the most important thing? What is the thing that really matters in life? And the thing that really matters in life has nothing to do with what the world considers valuable. He says, and be, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ and the righteousness which is from God by faith. He says, this is what I found. I've been, I was working so hard to kind of appease God and what I found is something so much better. I have found, I have found righteousness by faith. You know, the Christian life is one that, that puts down every attempt to appease God for righteousness on our own and fully accept God's gift of righteousness in Christ Jesus. That is what the Christian life is. It is a freeing life. It frees you. It frees you not only to, you know, be free, free from the, the fear or to, uh, free from the, the bondage that is always trying to get to the place where you can hopefully think that maybe God is accepting you and come fully in to relationship with Christ based upon what he has done. It also frees you to grow and become more like Christ. 
Because once you've achieved righteousness already, your standing of righteousness with Christ, once you hit that, now everything else is just icing on the cake, right? And because of what Christ has done, then our motive changes, the reason for what we're doing and why we serve Christ all changes. And we don't do it in order to hopefully God will be you know, happy with us, but we serve him because we know he already is. We serve out of the joy of our relationship with him. We don't serve in order to get a relationship with him. And that's a completely different place. Paul understood that. He had spent his life trying to appease God with all of his religious efforts, and he was good at it. But he still didn't have what he had the moment he said yes to Jesus. That moment was freeing for him. It changed everything in his life. You know, the... Jesus told a story of um, what most of us know as the story of the prodigal son and how this son, you know, took his inheritance early and went off and squandered it and eventually is living and sleeping with the pigs and eating there, you know, with the pigs. His dad is a wealthy man and, and loving him but he made this choice and he found himself there so far from his father. And then finally, the scripture says, it just says, he came to himself. He came to himself, which I, I love that. It's kind of like, finally, you're, you, you came to your, your own self. You know who you are. And he said, I'll, I'll go back and to my father. He's, he's a good man. He's a merciful man. Maybe he'll let me be like one of his hired servants and I'll just serve him. It's better than where I am now. And the prodigal, when he came down, he didn't go back to impress his father. He couldn't do that. Nothing he could do could impress his father. He went back to throw himself on his father's mercy. He had nothing to offer his father but himself. And that's true of us. When you came to Christ, I, when I came to Christ, I didn't come with, to Christ and say, hey, Lord, um, I know you'll like me because I have a lot of qualities. <laughs> you know, I, I think I'll become a Christian and I can do a lot of things for you. I've, I've achieved some things in my life. No, our achievements don't impress God at all. We come to him as we are. And we come to him and we throw ourselves on his mercy. And he saves us by his mercy. He saves us by his grace. Motivated by his love. And then... We start trying to do good things to make him feel happy about us. I mean, how do, we, how do we come from a place where we throw ourselves on God, we have nothing to offer him, and he fully accepts us and saves us, and then we think somehow we're going to then earn his love and earn you know, his acceptance by doing stuff now? Or why do we think when we have failed that we now have no hope 
of having any kind of healthy relationship with God because we failed. Didn't God know ahead of time? He absolutely did. Then Paul says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So he says, this is his desire. His desire is to know God. Now I want you to hear this. I want to know him, he says, first of all, in the power of his resurrection. I mean, the power of his resurrection is a power. That is a power. The power that raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body, the Bible says. But he says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to, I want to know God's power. I want to see God's power. I want, to, I want God's power to function through me. I want to know his power. I want to know to, how to live in his power. And that should be a desire of our heart. I, I think sometimes we have, a lot of Christians have no idea how to tap into the power of God. And, and we're going to actually be spending quite a few weeks ta- talking about and teaching that. But there is a power to tap into. The power of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. And we need to know God in the power of his resurrection. We need to know Christ in that way. We need to know how to function and to allow his power to work through us in our life. And there's great power, dunamis power, available to us. But Paul doesn't stop there. I would have stopped there. Paul goes on and says, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering? No, you can just tell me about it, Lord. (laughs) I don't, to know him in the fellowship, what Paul was saying is this. Jesus suffered for me, and I want to know him in how he suffered for me. I want to know the love that caused Jesus to suffer for me. And the only way that I know of to know that is to suffer oneself for Christ. I'm not talking about just suffering. I mean, suffering is something we all go through, and when we do, we can understand a little bit about the fact that Jesus suffered for us. But it's the suffering that Christ did. It's the suffering for love. Christ suffered for his love for you. And Paul says, I want to know that kind of suffering. And by the way, he did. In his prison epistles, he's suffering for Christ and he's suffering for the believers. In fact, he wrote about that in Ephesians. We talked about that on Tuesday night. That there was a suffering for the body of Christ. He gave himself. Sometimes that suffering came in persecution. Sometimes it came in in weariness and tiredness and giving of himself and sacrificing on behalf of. And that's what he says, I value that. 
I value when I experience that, that I know Christ a little bit more and how he's done that. What we do, no, I won't say we. I'll just say I. What I do is oftentimes I go through a little bit of suffering on behalf of, for Christ or behalf of the body of Christ, and I whine. I complain about it. I miss the opportunities too many times to say, Lord, now I understand your love a little bit better. Now I get it more. I miss those opportunities, and I don't want to miss them this year. So he says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Would anybody agree with that statement in your own life? You weren't paying attention, were you? Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Would you agree with that statement? Okay, thank you. I just want to see how honest you are. But I press on that I may hold lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. See, he says, he's saying, I want to pursue and lay hold of why Christ laid hold of me. Why, why did Christ grab me? Well, I want to grab hold of that. Why did Jesus save you? He, he saved you with purpose. To, to glorify him, for instance, and to, you know, that you would discover the full, fullness of God's calling on your life, to fulfill God's calling in your life. He laid hold of you with purpose. And Paul says, I want to know that. I want to pursue that. I'm going after that. Someone said there's, there's two, two most important days in your life is when you were born and when you discover what, what you were born for. When you were born and when you discover what you, you, know, what you were born for. You were born with purpose. God had given you purpose. He's given you gifts. He has talents. He's laid upon you. And he has desire for you. And you need to pursue that. And some of you, I'm going to speak to the older folks right now. Younger people, it's not so much. I'm going to speak to the older folks right now. Some of you spend most of your time just looking back at your life. Most of your life is about what you've been. Because you don't see ahead of you. Obviously, you have more days behind you than you have ahead of you, probably. And you spend most of your time looking back. This principle is not just for young people. It's for you, too. Until you take your last breath, he still has purpose for you. You can't just go, you know, I'm retired now, and I'm all done, and it's over. Now I just sit around and think about how wonderful I was. You know? No, you have purpose. And you need to look to it. For young people, you have a lifetime. And this pursuit, the sooner you discover what it is, 
the better your life will be. Abundant life is tied to you discovering the purposes of God in your life. Verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Everybody say one thing. One thing. One thing I do. There's one thing, he says, that I do. And, that, and so here comes my second point. You've been waiting for it, haven't you? A narrowed focus. A narrow, see, Paul knew Listen, you can't do everything well. You can't do everything well. But you can do one thing well. And the one thing he says that I want to do, he says, I'm, there's one thing. I, I count myself to, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but there's one thing that I'm going after. Forgetting those things which are behind, that's where it has to start. We've got to, we got to lighten the load. we got to take out you know, the extras, the things we don't need, so that we can focus on the thing that we do need to focus on. Forgetting those things, you know? And those things could be good and bad. Those things could be things that you might brag about or things you would be ashamed of. Some of us carry with us always the things that we regret. We look at our past, we see our you know, our failures, we, we have the shame of, of things that we've done, maybe that nobody knows about, but we do. And we carry these things with us in our life. And, and when are you gonna lay it down? When are you gonna leave it behind? When are you gonna forget? Because he's, th- this this is really about forgetting those things that are behind. And for Paul, they had, you know, he had the accolades of his, you know, his achievements, but he also had the horror of the fact that he was a man who took Christians and had them killed because they were Christians. I don't know how that, that must have plagued him. In fact, I know it did. He said so. It plagued him. But Paul could not live in his future if he was carrying his past. Couldn't do it. You can't do it. And if you live carrying your past and your failures of your past, it will plague you. It will will change the decision-making process in your life. It'll it'll, it'll hinder you from making faith-filled decisions in your life. Because it'll be in the back of your head that God won't do that or God can't do that or God won't use you in that way. It'll always be there. There'll be that little, you know, that little lie, that deception the enemy will take advantage of and he'll speak those things at you so that you never get to be what God wanted you to be. So you have to make the decision. It's yours. Do you believe God or not? Do you believe Christ or not? Did he wipe away all your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west into his sea of forgetfulness or not? Is he lying? Or is that voice in your head lying? And you choose. Because that voice is what was, is the enemy's attempt to keep you from your future. 
So Paul had this narrow focus. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 talking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And he said, truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. (coughs) Excuse me. They would have an opportunity to return. What he's saying is this. There, when you look back sometimes, sometimes especially when you're going through difficult things in your life now, you're pursuing the right things, but there, there's challenges. Sometimes people, especially this is for young believers, if you're kind of new in your faith, this is the temptation. As you go through difficult challenges in your life, is to look back, and when you look back, when you are in a difficult situation, you look and, and uh, maybe a hard situation, you look back at your old life with, you know, before Christ, and you only see the good things, and you don't remember the bad things. And what, what, what that is, is for them, is they could look back and go, man, we, when we were in Egypt, we had the spices of Egypt. We had, you know, and they forget they were slaves. And I, I remember going through a season, and I think pretty much every believer at some point kind of goes through this season. It's usually fairly early in our Christian walk where all of a sudden things start hitting us, and we look back and go, man, before I was a Christian, I didn't have some of these things come at me. I didn't have these, some of these problems. Oh, yeah, you did. You had the emptiness of being totally alone in a crowd. You had the, you had the, the hopelessness that someday you, when you face the end of your life, that there's nothing beyond that for you or hell. You know, the fact is, we forget. I remember God taking me through a season in my life. And this was later on in which I felt the emptiness of, of being lost. I, I, I remember what it was like. I had forgotten what it was like. And God took me through this. It was an emotional time for me where I felt lost even though I knew I was saved. And I felt like I couldn't talk to God. I talked to him, but I didn't hear him. He, I got nothing back. I'd open the Bible, I'd get nothing out of it. In fact, when I opened the Bible, instead of bringing me faith, it was bringing me doubt. And I went through this season, it was the weirdest thing. And when it broke, God revealed what he had done for me. He had reminded me what it was like before. And I went, yes, that's what it was like. I remember those days. I remember sitting in my car in front of my house after just going to a a party with all my friends and sitting there in that car and, and beginning to just weep because I felt so alone. And I had friends. I had good friends. I had people that would, you know, lay down their lives. I don't know if they'd die for me. They probably wouldn't have. They weren't that good. <clears throat> but people I had known, and, but I felt so lonely. And I had a good family, and I felt so lonely. I felt lost and hopeless. 
I rem- and, and when I went through this, I remembered that. I remembered those moments. In fact, that was one of the few first times I called out to God. I was sitting in that car, and I called out to God and said, God, I am so lonely. I didn't know God. I didn't know Christ. But I was just crying out. Hopefully there's someone out there that's going to hear me. So he goes on and says, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So I'm not just leaving things behind, but I'm reaching forward. I'm going to grab on some, to some things. He says, I press. I like that. I press. Say that. I press. I press. I press. What is that? That's dedication. That's dedication. I'm pressing on. This isn't like, a, you know, if it happens kind of thing happens. No, I'm pressing into Christ. I'm pressing into knowing him. I'm pursuing him. See, the reason I've got to leave all this other stuff behind, the reason I've got to have a lighter load, because I have a goal that I have to go for. See, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I have to be dedicated to to the pursuit, and then I have to have proper direction. It's dedication and direction, proper direction. It's the one thing, again. I have, to have, I have to be going in the right direction in my life. What is the one thing for you? If, if asked, what's the one thing that's most important for you? How do you answer that? And does your answer, is it, is it equal to the way you actually are living. Because it's one thing to say, you know, I pursue, I, this is my goal in life is to be an NBA player. I want to play for the Lakers. Well, Rick, you're a little old and slow. What, what are you doing to pursue this goal? Well, I watch games. I watch, I watch, I'll watch a game. Sometimes I'll watch an entire game. <laughs> What's your one goal in life? Wow. It's Jesus. What are you doing to pursue them? Well, I watch. Every once in a while, I'll go to church and stay the whole time. I'll pursue. This was used, this, um, this phrase was used uh, by Jesus. He had gone to the house of Mary and Martha, and, um, and, and Martha was trying to help get things kind of for him, and she's in the kitchen, and she's working, and she's trying to get the food going and everything because Jesus is there. And Mary is just sitting there at his feet. And Jesus and Mary are talking and conversing. And Martha starts getting upset. She goes, you know, come on, Mary. I, I'm doing all the work. 
And Jesus steps in and says, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. You're too encumbered with too many things. You're carrying a weight. You're carrying a load. You don't need to be carrying all that. Mary's chosen the better part. She's got her priorities right. He actually said it this way, but one thing is needed. You know, you're doing all these things, but there's one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Why? She's got her priorities right. She's got direction. For her, the most important thing is being at the feet of Jesus and learning and growing and drawing closer to him. So, proper direction. I'm going to close with a story. There is um, what's considered the, the longest marathon. Now, um, at least it was, in the, the story comes from 1917 of an earlier time frame, but I don't know if there's one that's longer now, but this one is actually in Australia. It's, it's, it starts in Sydney, Australia, Australia, and ends in Melbourne. It's 543.7 miles. It's a, a five-day race, pretty much. So it's, um, it, it is something uh, my wife's going to do next week. Um, I'm announcing it. Yeah. So it actually, the, the story actually happened in 1980-83 where 150 world-class athletes converged in Sydney. For this race, 150 top athletes for this five-day, 543-mile race. And a 61-year-old toothless potato farmer with overalls and galoshes over his work boots shows up. People thought he was coming to watch the race. But Cliff Young didn't come to watch the race. He came to run it. People were a little bit shocked and thinking this is hilarious. But he came to the, the, the booth and they gave him a number, number 64. See, Cliff grew up in the back country on a 2,000 square, uh, 2, square acre farm with 2,000 sheep. And they didn't have horses or a four-wheel drive truck. And when storms came, Cliff had to run around the farm and herd the sheep. Sometimes this would take two to three days to do the job. And so Cliff Young started the race with all these top level athletes with overall on, overalls on and galoshes over his, his boots. And this is kind of how, I'll see if I can do it, this is how Cliff ran. So when they started the race, it wasn't long till he was in last place. 
But five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, Cliff Young crossed the finish line in first place. In fact, the second place person to cross the finish line wasn't just right behind him. He was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. Almost 10 hours behind Cliff. This is truly a tortoise and a hare kind of story. And in fact, after that happened, uh, you know, people kind of wondered how this all took place. Well, these top athletes were taught and trained that they would run for 18 hours. You know, each day they would run for 18 hours and then they had to recuperate and they would take six hours to recuperate they would, and they would sleep for six hours, wake up and go another 18. I mean, we're talking real stress on the body. And the science for this said this was the best way in which to run the race. But Cliff didn't know the science. So as Cliff did his shuffle, and others, after 18 hours, fell asleep, Cliff was used to going several days without sleep. So he passed them up. The next day they got started. He was quite a bit ahead of them. They ran and pretty soon passed him, but then when they went to sleep, Cliff kept And each day he got further and further and further and further ahead. In fact, after Cliff won the race, they did did some analyzing his strategy. And several of the runners, actually uh, quite a few of them, took on Cliff's shuffle. (laughs) They found it was the most energy efficient way to run a race with that kind of distance. He just kept going. See, Cliff just didn't quit. Cliff just kept going. God has a pursuit for you. God has a calling on your life. It isn't how fast you run. It's just how consistent you run. This one thing, 2020 can be a great year if at the end of 2020 you can look back and say, I have grown closer to Christ. I am more like him. His love, it permeates my my whole being more than it ever has. And I'm more in love with him today than I was last year. Just don't stop. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you. Lord, the greatest pursuit. Can we just lay aside all the things that hold us back? And Father, press on. We pursue you, Jesus, to know you in Lord, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, to know you, God, in the depth, Lord God, of the love that you have, Lord, poured out upon us and the sacrifice that you've made for us, to know you, Lord, 
as our intimate Savior. God, I pray that we could grow in that. And anyone here that doesn't know you today, if you are distant from God, you can come to him right now. In fact, don't wait. It's too risky to wait. Today's the day of salvation. Today you acknowledge, Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I have failed you. I am a sinner. I come to you. I have nothing to offer but God, just myself. And I ask you, God, to cleanse my soul. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I put my faith in you, Jesus, as my Savior, the one who died for my sins and was buried and rose again. Help me to follow you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, a couple of things I want to... We're going to do, we're going to receive the offering, then we have communion, and we're going to do the quite rapidly, so I'm just going to tell you what we're going to do, and then we're just going to do it, okay? We're gonna, as we receive offering, then the ushers are going to come back, and they're going to hand out the elements of communion. And if you want to take communion with us, just hold the elements, just receive the elements and hold them with us, with you, and then we'll, we'll take them together, Okay? Father, I ask that you would bless as we bring our offering and our gifts to you. And uh, Lord, as we um, prepare our hearts to remember the greatest thing that you did for us when you died for us. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.